I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, guys. Uh, Today, I am interviewing Anna Maria Arcos. And I actually have no introduction for her because I'm going to go in cold. She reached out to me after Elizabeth Harris's interview about pandas. She reached out to me saying that she is the child for whom her mom fearlessly advocated for and that she thought that it would be really interesting to be on the podcast. And I agreed because I love hearing from kids who have survived the things that we talk about, you know, and I love hearing from kids who've homeschooled. I love hearing from grown kids who have been in the foster care system. So I would love to hear what Anna has to tell us today. So welcome, Anna. Would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you. Okay. So my name is Anna Maria Arcos. Everybody just calls me Anna, which is perfectly fine. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I have specifically worked with the autism population for about 16 years now. I went into it cold. I just got asked by somebody, hey, would you like to try this as a special education teacher at the time? And I was like, sure, why not? I was in retail. That's just what I thought I was going to do forever. Mm. Yeah, went into it cold. And I think over the years, what I realized is that there were certain things that I could definitely say I had in common with my students and then getting the master's degree and having it in common with my clients and working with uh, alongside DCF and ChildNet when I lived in Miami-Dade in Broward County in Florida. Just to be clear, can you say what those initials are? Yes. So, yes. So DCF is the Department of Children and Families. Okay. And I worked as a social worker at the time after being a special education teacher for about four to five years. I became a social worker, worked alongside with them with the same population um, because I was the only one in South Florida who knew how to work with those kids. This is not part of our master's program. And throughout all of those things, I saw parents go through things that I went through as a kid. And I was really surprised that to see DCF and, you know, certain parts of the government and social services in homes for situations that I probably would have been in that situation, too, or my friends would have probably been in the same situation. So I think as an adult going through certain things professionally, I was able to really open my eyes and just see how much my parents really, really tried and really tried to move forward as immigrants because I am South American. I'm from Ecuador. So my parents, they were born and raised there. I was born in Ecuador and raised in Miami. And just to see the level of advocacy that my mom had to have, you know, with now, the did public this occur to you as an adult, like is as an adult, I thought everything I went through was normal. Wow. OK, cool. Yeah, 100 percent. My mom was the type of person that I come from the family of try harder. Yep. Read it again. ADHD is a made up American term. 
You just need to pay attention next time. And it was fun in parent-teacher conferences because the one thing my mom did differently, which I think is what helped me psychologically, is that when we were in those parent-teacher conferences or with the school counselor, with the principal, because my grades were horrendous. I want to say my first F was probably in second grade and it went all the way through high school and I have two master's degrees right now. So it's definitely not an indicator of how well you can do in college or how well you can do in life. But the one thing my mom did do, which was an amazing strategy, was in front of the school personnel and administration, everything was their fault. When I got home, I was grounded. Okay. But they had no idea. Okay. She made sure that she told them, you majored in this. You got the degree in this. This is your job to teach her. What obstacles are we having? What can I do at home? But what are you not doing in the classroom that it's not working? And she really advocated without knowing anything about how the education system works. And I think that happens to a lot of parents, especially immigrant parents. I think you come here and you're like, great, free education, because back home, it's very expensive if it exists at all. And I think one of the things that my mom did a lot when I was a kid was not let me know that I had a difficulty Okay, as a disability. That was the one switch she did. I could tell I had something. I wasn't completely blind off of it. I was like, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. But I think from being a child to growing up as an adult and then going, oh, these are my diagnoses. And I say C's because I have more than one. And yeah, yeah. Well, that must've been amazing as a, as a therapist and social worker working with kids, like with autism, I don't know your diagnoses yet, but wait a minute. Uh-huh. <laughs> the yeah. first one I noticed right off the bat, it was a toss up between anxiety and ADHD. I am okay. super ADHD. And you will notice in the way I talk, I get long winded. I jump from one topic to the next. My Welcome ADHD to my is... podcast. <laughs> yes. And it's great. I want to say when I first tried medication in my thirties, I probably had four or five different psychiatrists diagnosed me because I wanted to make sure I was like, are we sure I have ADHD? It's not something else. And they all said the same thing in different ways. I don't know how you made it through high school, let alone college. I have so many questions already because a friend of mine was diagnosed late in life with ADHD as a woman and it presents different as women. Right. And so, and females. And it was really funny because I said to her, really? Cause you have your shit together. And she was like, okay, what do you do in the morning when, when you wake up, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I open my eyes. I get out of bed. I go pee. I get a cup of coffee. She was like, yep, stop. I lay in bed paralyzed because the first thought is I want coffee. Did I buy the beans when I went to the grocery store? Oh no, but I got lucky charms. I shouldn't have lucky charms. That's not really good for me. I really should have bought the. She's like 20 minutes of her head chatter before she could even get up. And then she realized she didn't have coffee. So it was all for, and I was like, oh, I didn't realize like you appear to have your shit together, but you're paralyzed by like, yeah, it's rapid thoughts, sometimes irrational thoughts, which can lead to other diagnoses, but <laughs> definitely the rapid thought when you wake up of jumping from one thing to the next. So the best way I described it to one psychiatrist one day was that if my mind was a computer, a computer screen, I had 20 to 50 tabs open up at the same time and somebody else had control of the mouse mm-hmm. because I couldn't. And then if I, I think that's compare- key. I think as women, we all have 50 tabs open. Yeah, I think that's a but I have no control over the mouse, but you have no control over the mouse. No, somebody has the mouse and then somebody's playing with the videos and somewhere in fast forward, somewhere we rewind, oh, and then some man. pause and go. And then I jump and jump and jump and jump. And I think the hardest part for a woman with ADHD is that you have to portray, I almost feel like society says that we have to portray ourselves as the organized and perfect mom and the good wife and the good daughter and the good employee. 
just everything that I want to say, probably generations ago that our grandparents and great grandparents went through, you know, just to get us to this place as women and then being able to say, I can't do it. And then you're like, no, 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 I got this. Let me just buy another agenda. I have three. (laughs) Tell me if I remember that I own three because object permanence out of sight, out of mind. If I put them in the back seat, they're gone. And it's (laughs) as if I never owned them. So when you get to that point that you have other professionals going, how did you make it? And you're like, what do you mean? How did I make it? Like, I didn't have a choice. Like, what do you mean? And then the medication works and then it doesn't work. And then you go through more therapy and then all the other diagnoses start to pop up. And you're like, if I knew this as a child, I don't know if it would have been a good thing because then I would have probably asked to seek out help or strategies or interventions so that I can get farther. Cause I wonder sometimes how much well, farther could I, I want to interrupt you because that's yeah. what I wanted to go back to in your opening, which mm-hmm. was this idea that your mom went with the idea that, you know, it is, she doesn't, those are, that's an American thing. You just have to try harder Yeah, because I know currently the families I work with get very relieved when there is a diagnosis. And I always say a diagnosis is not a label. It's a signpost. It's a signpost to how a brain works, to how a, a body yeah. functions, it's not necessarily a good or bad label, but there's mm. always relief of like, it's something like, I'm not yes. just stupid or I am not just, that. you know, can't get my shit together. So yeah. yeah. And then I also wanted to kind of go back to how you said your mom told the school, like made it their fault. And I have a lot to say about that <laughs> and punished you because, yes. okay, we have a crisis right now in some public schools in America yeah. where the parents, and I, th- I would say this is a crisis in parenting where there's no personal responsibility. Everybody's wrong, but the kid. If the school gets the blame and they don't know that you're actually attending to something at home, then to me, I'm like, wait a minute. It's weird. Yes, it is. I want to say, so I'm 40 years old. So I was born in the 80s. So I went to school in the 80s and the 90s. I graduated the year 2000. That was my graduating year. So my education experience is from way back then. And way back then, it was the schools or the counselors saying, Anna, you're never going to make it even to the community college, let alone a tech school with your performance in school. But then it also goes back to, but I'm dumb. I can't figure this out. I can't pay attention. And then I have this other person next to me who's not also not that brightest bulb and they're getting it and I can't figure it out. And I'm trying, but my mind's just not either retaining the information, understanding the information, or just really being able to pay attention to the three steps the teacher just went through. Mm-hmm. So there was a variety of things, but I want to say, because my mom didn't know what to do, she knew that she needed to push me at home and she pushed me at home. But I think she almost felt as if, if she let them know that she was holding me responsible at home, that they were also going to relax mm-hmm. and they weren't going to do what they needed to do, you know, yeah. in school. So it was the counselors making certain comments or senior year. I had a counselor say, Anna, you're not going to make it even to the community college or the tech school. I remember going home in tears. Not that I ever thought about college at that point anyways, but just the fact that somebody else said it. Yeah. And my mom stormed in the next morning. Yeah. Just furious. How dare you say that? How do you know that? You know, and then just the constant arguments. Like I said, my failing grades came in elementary school, you know, from math through reading comprehension, application. I'm a very hands on person. So mm-hmm. when you had back in the day, the teachers that all they did was talk. Yeah. And you're like, huh? And then you have ADHD and like you're talking. But then I have like five conversations going on in the back of my head, along with 30 scenarios and probably what I'm going to do when I get home and what happened this morning and how my classmate next to me said something that related to something that happened <laughs> to me last year. Hey, who, you got me like you can't really keep up with the auditory yeah. teaching. Yeah. 
So, so what I'm hearing though is that it was more so I like how you said your age and you schooled because yeah, I think that's really different. important to remember because I'm 54. So I graduated in 1986 and we didn't have, there was no diagnoses, none, mm-hmm. none, none, none. And I remember no. at our 25th high school reunion, we sat around and did diagnoses because it was so clear. We were like the valedictorian Asperger's totally Asperger's. Yeah. He had to go mm-hmm. like to college his freshman year. Cause he was so like number focused. And I was yeah. like, Okay. As for, you know, and then we had oppositional defiant disorder. Just, like we could give everybody their diagnosis, yes. but we just didn't have it, you know, at the time, yeah. because now these days, I also think we have to take into consideration that teachers are overworked, that we no longer have underpaid, way underpaid, um, underappreciated. I just can't believe they're starting salaries in a million dollars. Like you're literally in charge of the next generation. It doesn't make mine. sense. Like, I, I, why does Jeff Bezos have the money he has and teachers make $36,000 a year? <laughs> it does. And then you get mad that there's not enough teachers. Like in Florida, the shortages that we have, including the influx of people we've had move into the state of Florida is just insane. Yeah. So people are like, oh, no but there's no teachers. Special education classes. So that is there isn't. Everything is an inclusion, which yeah. is a pro and a con, depending on the child. It is individually based. But now you're telling a, a professional to, for example, I will also work in behavior analysis. So I've walked into classrooms where I've, I've walked into the teachers in the corner in tears yeah. because they have a classroom full of, let's say, 20 these elementary, yep. 20 to 30 kids. Yep. You have four to six on the spectrum. You have three to four to five with ADHD, some with or without medication, up to each parent. That's their choice. You have that influx. Then you have some other medical diagnosis. This teacher, she had a student that had a medical condition that was going to lead her to like the child was going to be blind in about a few years. Mm -hmm. So they were teaching her how to use a walking stick. Mm -hmm. So she had that. And then she had ODD. And then she had some kids that were in the foster care system. So you're asking somebody for $36,000, which you can make greeting people in Walmart or Sam's or Costco. Right. And you're asking them to take on all of these kids by themselves. Yeah. With very limited to no resources. And then we're in a society of labels, but without the wraparound service of therapy, medication, maybe just some studying skills or just maybe what we call antecedent environment manipulations at home where, hey, listen, instead of doing your work in your bedroom, maybe you need to do in the living room or just manipulate and just small things that for some of us therapists, it's, oh yeah, this is easy. We just do this. But that's not part of the teacher curriculum when they're going to college. Yeah. And I think too, there becomes a thing. It's an interesting, it's just like what we were just talking about with your mom advocating for you is this Mm -hmm. like, I have mixed thoughts about it because one of the things, so like I'm a potty training expert and a parenting coach, and I regularly get pictures from parents of these preschool apps. So these apps that are updating the parents every, you know, and particularly let's, let's just take potty training. So the parents at work and they get an 11 AM text that the kid had an accident. The fuck is that parent going to do about it? Yeah. Except stress, be distracted from her job or his job, but largely this is a mom thing. Right. And then, you know, they can't do anything about it. I don't know the environment. I can't help them because I don't know how the child's being prompted what's happening. And so, and more and more I'm getting like, you know, when the parent coaching side parents, you know, they're reporting terrible behavior. Oh, he hit, he kicked me. Like, I was like, are you a fucking tattletale? You're the teacher. Like, is there no, you know, you have to deal with things that it's Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens at school? How are you going to take a four-year-old who did something at 11 o'clock and try to talk to them at the clusterfuck of getting home, six o'clock dinner. Now you have to come up with some consequence that's not going to make any sense. Like, 
And I think I found this too with labels probably, and I could see where your mom was going with this is a lot of times in this overworked environment for teachers, the label becomes an excuse as well. So I do acknowledge that they're overworked, underpaid, has to do too much, but also I've seen teachers really write off a kid who might just have some sensory processing stuff who might, you know, it doesn't, and especially after the pandemic, I'm seeing a lot of almost like non-diagnosable sensory stuff, you know? Uh Uh-huh. And so it's like the teachers are like, oh, he's bad. And I'm like, well, that's not really your job either. And I don't, I know it's pressing. So it's this like mixed bag of how I feel about it because I see both sides. No, it's a lot. And I love what you bring up about the teachers, you know, with these apps. Oh, we're here to inform you what's going on. Just let me know at the end of the day, because like, is it what am I going to do about it? And then, yes, like you said, when you get home, oh, they need to be punished. Uh, no. So as a family therapist and as a behavior, you know, working as a behavior analyst, that's the first thing I tell the parents, especially with the kids on the spectrum. What happens at school stays in school. Yes. They are not to be punished when they get home. Granted, there are extreme exceptions, maybe very extreme for me. Like they threw the desk across the room. Your right. teacher went to the hospital. I understand those extreme circumstances. But at the same time, you're going to punish your child and you weren't even there. You don't right. know the antecedent. You don't know what triggered it. Right. It could have been another student. If it's a sensory issue, it could be the lights. These public schools have the worst electrical system known to man. I've walked into public schools where there's holes in the wall where the clocks used to be when we were kids with wires sticking and, out. Uh, you, that distracts me. Like, what I do you tell think? you, I just went on another podcast rant. I feel for the Ukraine. I really do. But we just sent them fifty three billion dollars and we have holes in our school's floors. Like this is a crisis of education and we have no business giving money away. <laughs> like I can't. Like we don't. Like I tell people, listen, work with the main thing I tell the parents is listen, when you get home, handle your kids at home. But please, I feel for the teachers because the teachers nowadays have the same salaries that they had when I was in yeah. high school. So you're talking about the same salary 20 years ago. Of course, me. and then you add on COVID and so yeah, for, in the same curriculum, it's like doctors, they're getting trained in a certain way. And now they have no special education classes, which I think is great to have the inclusion. But now you've got, like you said, in any given class, you've got ADHD, you've got a couple of kids on the spectrum. You've it's got too some, many. Yeah, it's, and it's too much. I will say being the child that was down there that was never supposed to go to college, let alone not to get the amount of degrees that I got and done as well as I have professionally. What really had me in the back of my head is that I knew if my life felt like a boxing ring, my mom was the coach back there in the corner. And if need be, she was going to grab the gloves for me. Okay. so I knew at least psychologically there was somebody there. Yes, she would have sat down with me and be like, did you actually study? Did you finish your homework? Is this F justified? But then my mom's thing back then was, why didn't you tell me ahead of time? Why am I hearing about the F with the report card? Why am I hearing it about the end of the school year that she might have to repeat a grade? Where's the communication? So I think what my mom did was try and do her best to make sure that she held all of us responsible, but without allowing the other person to know, because it would have been an excuse. It would have been a cop. out. would have been an escape for either. For me, if you would have told me, Anna, you have ADHD. You have an anxiety disorder. My favorite, my last one was a social pragmatic disorder. That answered a lot for me as an adult. Basically, it's the psychiatrist who um, actually specializes in the autism population said, because I was in my mid thirties at this point and getting the diagnosis is going to be very conservative. But basically what that means is that socially, I have a difficult time reading others cues. Okay. 
I have a very difficult time doing that. Even as an adult, it's easier for me at work than it is for me personally. I have a difficult time. You know, I don't have a lot of friends. I have a lot of really good few friends, which as you get older, that's what you want. Right. Anyways. <laughs> right. But when it comes to being in a large social group, if it's not work related, almost Asperger's like it's almost like, what do I do? But that would have been nice to know as a kid. But then I think back and I'm like, OK, it would have been nice to know if I had the resources to work through it. Yeah. Yeah. But if all you're going to do is label me so that you don't have to try as hard because some diagnosis or medical book says I may not make it, right. then I don't want to know. You know, what you need? I, you, with that, you need an extroverted translator. So I have a friend who has to have that. And it's so funny because I'll nudge her and I'll be like, that was a joke. You got to laugh. <laughs> or, or I'll say, no, no, no. Stop talking about that. We moved on because like she's like, you know, the flavors of asking. Like, I need somebody to be like, Anna, you know, like you're like, oh, no, sorry. cut it off. Cut it off. We moved on. <laughs> it's so true. I will definitely say as the child with the learning disability, because yeah. I remember my I think we had the HSCT back then. It was way before the FCAD and whatever name they have in the state of Florida for the state exam. I remembered at 12th grade and I'll forget because it hit me like a ton of bricks was I scored at a sixth or seventh grade level. Wow for math and reading and science. And I remember that hit me going, I'm done. That's it. We're done. Like I'm, I'm not even going to look at college. So when that counselor made that comment, I was just like, it was one emotion over the other. And my mom was like, no, you're going to do this. And my dad said the same thing. I didn't want to sign up for college. He dragged me to Miami Dade college, community college at that point. It was like, we're going to figure this out. There's enough grants in this government to have you go for free. You're going and you're going to pick something, whatever it might be. So I know for me, struggling as much as I did academically and socially, because it was a double component, the best thing was knowing that at least at home, I wasn't going to get verbally berated. I wasn't going to get put down. They were going to hold me responsible. And there's a very big difference, I think, that a lot of teenagers and young people don't understand the difference between somebody trying to help you be responsible for your own actions, but at the same time, providing you help without trying to say, year old, I'm going through this right now. (laughs) And it's so hard that I don't think a lot of people really know the difference. Like I can hold you responsible, but still support you. Yes. Without allowing you to continue with the same behavior. Like I joke with people all the time. My poor mother, I think suffered more with me in my twenties than she did with me as a child and as a teenager, Mm. because in this country, 18, 19, 20 years old, like, Hey, what college are you going to? What job are you, you know, are you working in? Like, and you're like, I got up at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like You're yeah. trying to figure it out at that age. So I think, you know, knowing that our safest place as a child, I would say this every parent has to be our home, yes. whether that might be your own home or a friend's home or work, because it is work sometimes yeah. for some people or it might be school. And that's where they spend so much time there because that's their safe place. Yeah. I always know even to this day, my safe place is my mom and my dad. We do not agree on everything all the time. We have very different beliefs. We have different values, even though they gave me a very good foundation. We just think of things differently, especially being the daughter of immigrants. They have their ways. I have mine. My daughter will have hers. Yeah, yeah. But knowing that we can agree to disagree, but I'm still going to provide you the support in the way I believe is best so that you can move forward. Rather than taking all of these diagnoses, all of these therapies, all of these medications, all of these teacher reports and going, look at what everybody's telling me. It doesn't matter. Look at your child. And I always tell my clients, you know, the parents, especially if I put a mirror in front of you, could you say to yourself as a parent, I'm a good mom. 
looking yourself in the eye without doing the whole strategy of, oh no, look at the eyebrows and look at the forehead. <laughs> look at your eyes. And can you say out loud, I'm a good mom. Yes. I'm a good dad. I'm a good husband. I'm a good wife. I'm a good brother, sister, et cetera. Can you say that? And then can you ask your child to look at me? I'm a good son. I'm a good daughter. Mm-hmm. The majority of the people cannot say that out loud. Wow. I work more with parents trying to say that because if you can't say it, then I already know there's a whole bunch of hurdles in front yeah. before we can even get to a coping skill or a mechanism or strategy or intervention. I need to work on what's going on inside. Do the parents have trouble saying I'm a good mom or do oh, the yeah. parents have trouble having the child say? I'm a good son. Both individually. Most parents okay. can't say I'm a good mom. Mm. And what I'll do is that I'll see how they do. And so I have them do it twice. I in front of a mirror mm-hmm. and then to the child. Can you look at your child and say, I'm a good mom. Wow. That's, and then that's look powerful. at the child's response. Yeah. And then that, just that exercise in itself is enough for us as coaches and therapists to go, okay, I know where I need to start. <laughs> now we have our stepping stones. Yeah. yeah. Well, I imagine too, we're just, and God, this got so intensified through the pandemic. You know, I homeschool, so I'm out of I'm out of the rat race of the schooling system, which just feels like an increasingly faster treadmill. And this yeah. like behind, behind, they're behind, they're behind. And so I would imagine by the time you even, even if you do get a diagnosis, you've been through the ringer because you're trying to make yes. your quote unquote normal. And I struggle with that. A lot of times I work with families who have a fresh diagnosis and I'm like, okay, but we have to approach this differently. We can't keep asking the kid. If the kid can't make his bed, we can't keep saying he's got to learn how to make his bed. Like we can't, you know, you can't, you, I think you have to break it down. And I tell parents all the time, what can they do? And look at the things that they can do because a lot of these kids can do great things, but you know, I think at the end of the day, you can provide your child with very helpful criticism while at the same time providing them resources and providing them help and going, listen, I am always in your corner. I'm not going anywhere. You are not going to go through this on your own. And unfortunately, I think for some kids and young adults now, they feel that way that they are on their own because I think parents don't know how to communicate and say, I love you. Love and like is different. I love to explain this to parents. You cannot like your child, but still love them. And just say, listen, I may not like this behavior right now, but I love you. And I am always going to be here. And we're going to figure this out together. You might be doing the work, but I'm right here behind you. Guys, we got to wrap up, but I want to close out with one thought is that I I think it's less about what your mom said specifically. I think it's less about, did she make the school wrong? Did she not make the school wrong? Who she held accountable? I think the bigger thing that I kept hearing throughout was she showed up in your corner and she showed up at home with, we got to figure this out and ask good questions. Why didn't I hear about this earlier? Where could we have intervened sooner? And so I think that's amazing. Listen, you guys, we had a scheduling snafu. I accidentally put 30 minutes on the Zoom and Anna has scheduled somebody and we've already at, we're already at 30 minutes. Anna, would you come back on? I have a list of Absolutely. Questions. Oh, like, absolutely. I, so you let me know when. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. <laughs> we'll close I out love all of now. this. Yes. I'm going to hang you up so you can get on. And thank all right. you so Perfect. much for your time. I, I can't wait to talk again. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye, everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. <laughs> you can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives. 
and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.